The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Hi, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. I was just sitting here thinking about the, the many benefits of being a medium, most of all of the healing and comfort it brings to people. But, you know, if you can tune into loved ones who have passed, you're also quite psychic. Sometimes that's a good thing for my husband, Ty, but not always. But it was a good thing this week. We were on a long road trip, had to go about three hours from our new home in South Carolina, and we were going through a bunch of little towns. Ty was driving, and all of a sudden I looked up and I said, honey, this is a speed trap slow down now. And he wasn't speeding, but it was one of those where the speed limit was 25. And I knew it like I know my last name. He, he immediately slowed down. We went around the corner and there was an unmarked Mustang pulling over somebody coming in the other direction. We went around another corner and there was an unmarked car waiting for some poor person who wasn't psychic going in our direction. So he looked at me and he was like, that's good. And we just laughed and it just never ceases to amaze me how when you realize that we're part of one big web, part of a greater reality and not limited to just what our senses, our physical senses sense, then you open up to another world. My guest today opened up to that world in a way that most of us hope we don't have to through a near-death experience. Nancy Rines is a wonderful woman who I met at the the luggage carousel of the Philadelphia airport last year. Both of us were keynote speakers at the annual conference of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, and she and I shared a ride from the airport to the hotel, and we just clicked and ended up going out to dinner, and as she told me her story, I was absolutely spellbound. So as I was talking to her just a few minutes ago, I said, Nancy, spare nothing in that story. Tell it with all the detail, because it's not only the story is riveting, but the how that changed her life and the lessons for all of us. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, happy to have you. And I hope that's the most talking that I'll do in the show and that you'll do most of the talking <laughs> for the rest of it. Because, you know, you're touted as a leading voice for developing our heart-centered intuition and living a life of peace-filled connection, love, and creativity. Now, were you always focused on that kind of thing? <laughs> no, not at all. Um 
So this, so all of this happened about six years ago, and before that time, I mean, I'd spent most of my adult life as a science writer, as a scientist. I was very focused on, you know, the materialistic science. So if I couldn't measure it or touch it with my hands, it didn't exist. And for me, that really meant anything, you know, spiritual, psychic, anything having to do with the greater connection of this planet and to the cosmos. I didn't I didn't believe in any of that stuff because to me everything was just, you know, rocks and dirt and, you know, buildings and trees. And you I know get it. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. <laughs> That's I how I was. Yeah. And, and and you know, I think for at least for me, I was you know, I'd been that way since my mid teens up until the time I was in my mid forties. So like a, you know, about a good thirty years. And by the time I was in my mid forties, uh, I was really getting, I would say, uh, disenchanted with that and, and feeling and I didn't really understand this mentally, you know, with my intellectually. I I was feeling uh not quite not quite depressed, but really out of sorts. Like something wasn't quite right in my life, but I couldn't the, figure the out what it was. The word that comes to me is restless. Does that match it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I'll, so many of us, at least for me, I, I know I've seen this in me, myself and a lot of other people. I wanted to externalize that. I didn't want to look inside and see, okay, what's going on here? I was attributing it to, well, maybe I need a new job or maybe I need to live in a different place. But really what it was, was a, I was beginning, I think, at a soul level to recognize the disconnect between my soul and, you know, my outward life that was becoming yeah. more apparent. Um, and, and my attachment to atheism and agnosticism, I think, was starting to wear off. <laughs> well, let's talk about um, that. I mean, were you, were you an I mean, most people don't come right out and say, I was an atheist, but you were yeah, just sure there was no God? I was for a long time. In fact, I came up, you know, when I was a really young kid, between, I would say, from the time I was four when I, I may have had an NDE when I was four. It's kind of not documented, but there's a possibility I did. From the time I was about four until I was about 14 or 15, I was exceedingly spiritual. Hmm. And then, and, and my parents went to church and, you know, we did out the outwardly, you know, religious stuff. And then in my mid-teens, we were going to Catholic church and there was a lot of, back then there was a lot of uh, news about abuse in the Catholic church. And that really began to turn me away from not only the religion, but I, because I was young and I guess I didn't really know any better, I thought mm -hmm. to myself, well, how can God let this happen if there is a God? Mm -hmm. And I, I remember thinking, well, there must not be a God then if this is happening because a good God would not allow this the kind of stuff to happen. So that's when I began to really turn away from it. And by the time I went into graduate school, when I was in my early 20s, I was effectively an atheist. Um, I always, you know, kind of just looked at other people who believed in something higher or bigger and thought, mm, you know, I, I understand the pull to it, but I just don't get it. And, and I don't believe in God anymore. Okay. So, 
that you know that kind of wavered every once in a while i'd want there to be a god <laughs> and, and you know kind of pl- play with that idea for a little bit but effectively i just didn't really believe in that stuff i love how you put I, that i want core. there to be a god you know it's when we get in trouble that you know almost everybody you get in trouble you end up praying and you need to pray to someone <laughs> or something right you want huh. yeah i wanted there to be like especially when my dad died when i was you know, in my mid-30s, I really wanted to believe that there was something more for him than just nothing. But I couldn't bring myself to, to really grasp onto that belief. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah. and... In it, so so let me just put in a plug for that. mediumship. I can assure all of you there <laughs> is so much more and it's not depressing because our dads yeah. who pass and everybody who passes are, are so aware of our lives here, part of our lives here. So Nancy, oh, yeah. they're, they're what, never gone. What, yeah. What turned you around? Gone. So I, you know, and when I was 46, so this is six years ago now, I was bicycling which I which I did a lot of in Boulder, and I Boulder, was Colorado. bicycling Boulder, Colorado. Yep, a little, actually a little town outside of Boulder. But Boulder is for those of you who don't know, it's very warm in the winter. Typically, the the biking community is very strong. There are bike lanes and bike paths like everywhere, and so that's just basically how I got around most days. Hmm. So. This one morning, it was a Friday morning right after uh, the new year. It was January 3rd. I went out for a bike ride just to run to the library and to do a couple of errands around town, and which wasn't a big deal, usually. <laughs> and uh, I got about a half a mile from my home and went in and into a new traffic circle. Now, th- the traffic circle was one I didn't even like in my when I drove it in my car, so I probably shouldn't have gone into it on my bike Mm. but I did because it was in the way and you're just getting warmed up at half a mile Mm. yeah exactly there I still got a long way to go so I I was in the bike lane up until that point and then it and then the bike lane disappeared as I was going into the traffic circle so in that instance what you're supposed to do as a cyclist is take the lane which is what I did and there was a, a man behind me in a Subaru, I think a Subaru station wagon, and he was ways, a ways back. So he, he let me in, no problem. So I'm in the traffic circle going around, you know, to, to get off my exit. And I noticed kind of at the last minute that there's a, a big SUV coming in from my right-hand side into the traffic circle. And at first it looked like, the the vehicle was slowing down and and I was sort of in a bad position because this guy was behind me and I didn't feel like I could maneuver because the traffic circle itself was so narrow and you know concrete on either side it was just a a tight situation for a cyclist so I watched the SUV as I'm continuing around and at the last moment I noticed that instead of stopping as she was supposed to do when she came into the circle, she actually accelerated. And at that point, I was right there. And I couldn't avoid her. I actually put my right hand out. I remember this distinctly. I don't, in fact, I didn't lose any consciousness at all through this whole thing. So I remember it like it was yesterday. 
and I put my hand out, my right hand out, I think in an attempt to kind of push away from her vehicle. Mm-hmm. But my front wheel of the bike got caught underneath of her front tire. Ugh. And at that moment, it flipped me up. I, I, I can't even imagine what this looked like to somebody else, but it that all of that impact flipped me up onto the hood of her. It was a Chevy Tahoe. And I'm looking in the windshield at her. <laughs> not kid you not, she's got a cell phone propped up on her steering wheel. Looking at that while she's texting and didn't even see me. Uh, this this blows me away. I remember you telling me this because she never. I mean, can you imagine everybody? This person's coming up your hood and she didn't even see her. Ah. She didn't hear the thump. She didn't notice anything at all. I mean, I'm still, like you said, I'm still kind of flabbergasted. Like, how could you not know this? But she didn't see me because she had her driving glasses off and she was focused on the the phone. So she kept driving while she's going around this, you know, traffic circle. And I'm trying my best to just hang on because I knew this is not good. <laughs> you uh-uh. know, this is this is how bicyclists die is getting hit broadside by a truck like this. And I couldn't hang on. I mean, I tried as much as I could to grasp onto something, but I just couldn't. And I slipped off the front of her vehicle as she's driving. My, I remember seeing the license plate as I'm going off the front of her vehicle, Mm. tried to grab onto her bumper, couldn't grab onto that. And then I hit the pavement. And that was when kind of the first, the first of a lot of things happened. That's when stuff really started to change for me. So I hit the pavement at that point. um, I didn't know it at the time, but I broke my collarbone and five ribs on my left side. And at that point, I also cracked my pelvis, but I didn't know that. Uh, What I noticed is I was in, all of a sudden, my consciousness was split. And that was the weirdest thing I had ever experienced up to that point. Tell Um, us about it. There was a part of me that I would call my, now I would call it my higher self or my soul, who was standing outside of the whole accident scene, just watching everything unfold. And this part of me, this higher consciousness was very calm and very um, just peaceful about what was happening. Right. Yeah. Like everything is happening. And this part of me kept kind of repeating, everything is happening just as it should. It will be okay. It's hard. We know that it's okay, but you'll be fine. It's it's going to be okay. So there was this comforting message that I was that that higher part of myself was telling my the part of me that was still in my body. So my human, what I call my human level consciousness, was still aware and awake in my body. At the same time, I was experiencing me outside of my body. Wow. And it was it was really wild because the human me was all of a sudden being not I was not run over by the wheels, but I was in between the 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 front wheels of her of her SUV 
as she's rolling over the top of me. <laughs> and I distinctly remember my, my, I had a, uh, like a bicycling backpack on and the strap for that got hooked somehow. I don't know how, but it got hooked on something on her undercarriage, which then meant I was being dragged underneath uh, of her. Of her. I hope you had a helmet on. Oh, yes. <laughs> I sure did. And it's a good thing I did because it actually cracked when they, when the paramedics finally did arrive, the helmet cracked and fell off because it was just completely shot. So luckily that took all the blow. Um, and if I wouldn't have had it on, I would have been instantly deceased. And you would have been contacting me from here. <laughs> That's right. Oh. So but, how long were um, you dragged? So the police, to me, it felt like forever. Because uh, time just didn't, time sort of ceased to exist at that point. It The police estimate it was probably 50 to 60 feet after I hit the pavement. Um, but, but it was really hard to tell. It could have been a little bit more than that, but, but it was a long way. And, and what finally stopped her was the guy who was driving, and this is the outside, the, the higher self me that was outside of the accident watching all this. There was a man driving a truck who was behind her and he drove around the traffic circle the opposite way to stop her to just wow. block the path so she wouldn't keep driving. Com still Luckily completely oblivious me, that you're under there. She didn't know. <laughs> she had no idea. And it, the two bystanders, did, you know, the two, the guy that was in the the Subaru behind me and then the guy in the Toyota truck both saw it, but she had no clue. And um, so anyway, he, the, the guy driving the truck stopped the woman in the, uh, in the Tahoe. And then they started pushing the, the SUV kind of off of me. And at the same time, I started to panic. My human me, the human part of me mm -hmm. started to panic. And I wanted to get up and run. And so I'm starting to kind of squirm out from, or at least I tried to squirm out from underneath the, the, the Tahoe and I was almost about ready to get up because I had squirmed out enough where I thought I could get out and they had pushed the vehicle back a little bit and at that moment a woman ran up and and she said her name was Ann and she she was this you know really pretty blonde woman of maybe about 30 years old or so and she said I'm a I'm a trauma nurse I'm here to help just you know, she put her hands very gently on my shoulders and said, you know, just stay still until the paramedics come. I want you to be, be still and be safe and I'll stay here with you, you know, as long as you need me to. And she, she kept talking to me, I guess, to keep me focused on her rather than on anything else. Uh, and, and very soon, I was because I was very close to uh, a fire station in the hospital, the paramedics arrived. And as soon as they started very carefully trying to gauge what was wrong with me, you know, if there were any bones broken or anything, um, that's when I started feeling pain. And that's when my, that sense of dual consciousness stopped and I came back Darn. together. Yeah, in my body. Yeah. Um, 
but the pain was just through the roof. I'd never felt pain like that before, even when I was having my, my child, you know, 20 years ago. Um, it was crazy. So they, and I knew it was bad. (laughs) You just have that knowing like, Oh boy, this isn't good. I could feel pain all the way up and down my spine. And your pelvis broken. Not good. Yep. Yeah, and there was some tingling, like I could, like my toes were tingling, and parts of my arms were tingling, and I thought, ooh, that's not good either, because that might mean spinal cord damage. So, so all of you listening, we're talking to Nancy Rines, and you can find her story Nancy Rines, at nancyrines.com. All of this is in her wonderful book, Awakenings from the Light. We're really going to focus on the lessons from all of this in the second half hour. But this story is so riveting, and you haven't even had your near-death experience yet. Right. <laughs> huh. It's coming so, up. <laughs> please keep going. All right. So they take me to the ER, which... Lucky for me is just a few blocks away, uh, and it's a trauma center, which is even better. So they get me into the to the ER, and it turns out that the man who was driving the Subaru behind me was a trauma surgeon. So he, he was there at the scene, and he was treating me the whole rest of the afternoon. That I was and that the, nurse Anne. She she disappeared. Nobody really knows who she was. She kind of came out of nowhere. And disappeared. The the uh, Boulder County Sheriff's, not the excuse me, the Boulder County District Attorney's Office tried for at least six months to find her. Do you um, think she not, was an angel? Not, very possibly. In hindsight, I think she probably was because when the DA tries to find somebody and they can't, you know, that's probably someone who doesn't, you know, either want to be found or can't be found. And I think it was the latter. And if you had gotten um, she, up and run like you wanted to, you might have might not be here to share what you learned. Yeah, I but, I yeah. had because of her. I mean, I found out later. I had uh, I think it was five vertebrae in my neck were badly broken, like in multiple places. All of the mm-hmm. ligaments and tendons in my neck were shattered. So if I would have gotten up, I probably would have just had either been a quadriplegic or died at the scene. Uh, and, so and, re- real angel or earth angel doesn't matter. She was definitely doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank well, you, please Anne, continue. Whoever you are, um, she really she basically saved my ability to walk. I can walk fine today. So you know, if, for any of you listening to this, by the way, I'm fine. I'm walking. I'm doing everything I used to do before. No worries. So it's because of the help I received at the scene from the doctor, the nurse, and the paramedics that really helped me maintain my ability to move. So um, in the hospital or in the ERs when I found out, you know, the extent of the injuries was pretty heinous. It was 24 bones that were broken in multiple places for what's likely well over 100 different bone breaks. They just didn't even bother counting because it was just too much. It was pretty bad damage to my spine. Uh, My lower back, I had my L1 vertebrae was effectively gone. Uh, There was just a tiny little bit left of it in place. The rest of it had just blown apart. And the fact that you're you're completely recovered now just speaks to the fact that you're supposed to be sharing this story with people. Yeah. 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 And I healed. 
we'll get to it later, but but I healed very quickly from the surgery, which I'll talk about in a minute. Okay. So the, they quickly decided that in order for me to be able to walk, they would need to, to basically put titanium rods in my back on either side of my spine so that it would stabilize my spine. And um, then they needed to clean out all those shards of bone that were pretty close to, they were impinging on my spinal cord in a couple of places. So they had scheduled surgery for three days later, which is a Monday, um, thinking that I probably wouldn't make it through the weekend. Hmm. That's why they did it then. And they told me that much later. They didn't tell me that over the weekend, but they said, you're, we didn't think you would make it. So we kind of held off on surgery for a little bit. Hmm. So I go into surgery. Again, this is really just to put in, to clean up my spine, to stabilize it, to put in those rods. And they put, brought me into the, to the OR and gave me anesthesia. And it's, the, the bizarre thing of all this is this is anesthesia that I've had before. Hmm. So this wasn't anything new. I've had a couple of surgeries before. They used what worked. They used what was safe. This time it wasn't safe for whatever reason. Uh, and I went into cardiac arrest almost immediately. Oh, my. And my, my blood pressure went to zero. My heart rate went to zero. I stopped breathing. I didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that. What did you know? Well, I went, they, you know, they put me out and I started to drift off. But then the bizarre thing was I woke up and I woke up standing up on a hillside mm -hmm. overlooking like the most beautiful scenery you could imagine, at least for me. It was and I'm going to get choked up thinking about it again because it was just so beautiful, but not just visually beautiful. It was energetically beautiful because it was just love and acceptance and peace all right there. And I was standing up. Yeah, like I still cry thinking about it because. I mean, it and was you've told so this story probably a thousand times, and that, that, that level of emotion is there. We have 30 seconds before the break. So just one quick question. Were you aware you were no longer in your physical body? Yep, I was. You were. Yeah. I, okay. I, I had started to wonder if I had died. So we'll pick it up there. All right. So we're talking with Nancy Rines, scientist, former atheist, just had a horrendous bicycle accident. And... She's died on the table. When you come back, we're going to talk about what she experienced across the veil and how it's changed things for her now. Please join us. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. 
ignite your radical imagination, and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Oh, boy, Nancy, your story is riveting, and I hope that everybody has stayed with us to hear what happens next. But Nancy Rines is our guest. She's the author of Awakenings from the Light. Her website is nancyrines.com, and that's R-Y-N-E-S. When we left off at the break, Nancy, you had broken, had 100 broken bones in your body or breaks and in surgery cardiac arrest on the table from the anesthesia and suddenly you're standing outside your body in a beautiful field right yeah it was i remember distinctly there was rolling hills and beautiful skies but everything just felt and looked energetic like i could see energy below to me, below the surface of everything around me. So everything just scintillated with this amazing energy underneath of it. And what was really striking to me was, A, I was standing up, which I shouldn't have been, you know, in my body I wouldn't have been able to do. So I knew Mm -hmm. something was a little bit odd. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling this way, not just one wave, but I was feeling continual waves of love, and acceptance and peace coming through me as if the, way, the, the best way I can describe it is if you're standing in front of a, like a roaring fire on a warm, uh, you know, in front of a warm fire, like on a cold winter's day, and mm-hmm. you feel those waves of heat kind of coming into your body. Mm. That's what this love, and I knew it was love. It just felt like I was being embraced by wow love on a scale that I I can't imagine as a human being. And I was accepted. And I began, first I thought I was hallucinating. I really did. Mm -hmm. And then I started to remember, oh, yeah, I was on the operating table. Hmm, I wonder if I died. And I started, like, analytically kind of analyzing what was (laughs) going on. This The scientist was coming back out. And yeah. and it, there was a moment at which I thought, oh, my gosh, I must have died on the operating table. And then that, then there was a pause in my thinking. Now, wait a minute. If I died on the operating table, then what's all this? Because I don't yeah. believe in any of this stuff. <laughs> you even thought that. That's great. <laughs> I did. I was thinking, well, wait a minute. Why am I here? I don't believe in any of this. What's and interesting, though, the, is if you have died at this point, you, you're not experiencing that split awareness like before. You're, you're seeing this and experiencing this, it appears, from the Nancy Ryan's viewpoint. Right. Yeah. Hmm. All together in one place, out of my physical body, in that energy state that some people call heaven, some people call the afterlife, but both terms I'm, I'm not really comfortable with for reasons we can talk about later, but okay. but I was in this spiritual realm, the spiritual state of existence, 
And I was beginning to think that, oh, my gosh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe there is something after death. Maybe there is a God. And then then I started feeling guilt. Now, this is kind of how I was raised as a in Catholic grade school. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, why am I here? Because if this is all real, I was told that atheists go to hell. I shouldn't be in heaven. I shouldn't be in this really good place. I should be somewhere pretty awful right now, according to what I, you know, learned as a kid. But then there was a voice. And I've only heard this voice a couple of other times after this, but this was the first time I heard it. And the voice was big and booming, but not to, to not really to my ears, more like a voice all around me than permeating me in my heart and in my soul. And it said, basically, you are my child. You are a part of me. You are a part of this. This is your home. Welcome home. Hmm. And there was such love with that statement. And I remembered, oh, my gosh, that's right. This is home. This is reality. This spiritual existence this is home. I love so that you I said in, you remembered in that moment. Yeah. <sighs> it was the it was the awakening. That was the first of the awakenings right there was being allowed, being given the permission to remember and being <clears throat> nudged, I'm sure, you know, spiritually being nudged a bit to remember it. And then it was like, oh, yeah. That whole earth thing, that isn't her ultimate reality. This is where I am right now. And then it made sense. Like, oh, yeah, I'm home. That's right. Why would I want to be anywhere else? <laughs> and and you, hopefully you and answer that, that question in detail in your book, right? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. It's it, I go into it a lot more in depth in there. Um, and so it was there I thought, oh, cool. Okay, I'm home now. Uh, I guess I guess I can go see my dad and I can go see my sister and, you know, all these people who had passed on before me. Okay, cool. We're, we're set. And, and kind of out of, sort of like out of the mists almost, this woman appeared. And she came up and she gave me a big embrace of love uh, and introduced herself. She, she didn't say her name at that point, but she did say, I'm your guide. I'm going to teach you what you need to learn in order for you to go back to your life on earth and make it one that's meaningful and worth living for you. And I I kind of got stuck on that because I didn't want to go back to earth. And I said, well, I'm not going back there. I don't know what you think, but I'm not going back there. I'm going to go see my dad. I'm going to go see my sister and all of my friends who had passed on. And she said, no, you've already agreed to go back, so you're going to go back. And I said, well, I don't remember agreeing to that. And so in front of me, like kind of in the air, she showed me what it was sort of like a video almost of me, my soul, not not the human looking me, but my soul energy, my energy body, kind of working with my soul group or my soul team and that divine consciousness 
to kind of plan out what I wanted to do in this life as Nancy Ryan's. <laughs> and, you know, if certain things didn't happen in a certain amount of time, then I would have this accident and have this experience and, you know, go back and finish up whatever it was that I needed to do. So, so the I not waking that. up thing, it, you make it sound as if you had to have that accident because they're like, hey, we got to bring her home and say, you're not on track with the plan. Right. <laughs> I had had a couple of opportunities earlier in my life to get with the program, and I didn't. Hmm. And, you know, the, the agreement that I had was, well, okay, if I pass by these first two, then you get to do this other thing and we'll we'll go through this accident and you know I'll, it'll be a bigger impact <laughs> no pun what i love is that you didn't expect this this kind of an afterlife and it wasn't <laughs> in your belief set so no yeah no no atheists don't believe in this kind of stuff and and you know it's nothing my parents really understood either so i didn't really know about any of this so did I didn't she know then? About, I mean, now this so that, is called pre-birth planning. So I didn't know about that. I could talk to you for hours, but unfortunately, we've just <laughs> twenty minutes left. We better get on to right. what she. Can you summarize what she had to teach you, and then we'll get to how it's sure. changed things for you and what it means for all of us. Yeah. So the the details of all this are in the book if you're interested, and I've got some other YouTube videos off of my website that y'all can look at if you're interested. Uh, but in in effect, she spent about what, what I would equate in Earth time, about two to three months with me, teaching me things like the true nature of love and gratitude. i got to stop um, you just a second because everybody's going, huh, you're on the operating table. But you were able to quantify that it felt like you spent months with this guide. Yes, it felt like if I was to intellectually analyze everything that we did, and all of the places that we visited, it was like this huge tour. But at wow. the same time, I was learning stuff as I went. In Earth time, that would have taken about two to three months to do all that. And, and I don't, I don't want to get back into the earthly realm, Hill, but really how long were you on that table in that state? I was, I was compromised medically for about maximum about two minutes, probably more oh. like a minute and a half. Okay. And the whole surgery took two hours, so at the most it would have been the two hours, but it's probably just a minute and a half. Okay, so but, back to what she taught you over this period of learning and accompanying you around in this beautiful yeah. setting. So, and I wondered, like, well, why, what you, why am I learning this? And she said, well, it's because you need to fix your life. And by the way, if you want to, you can share this stuff with other people. But for the most part, it was really for me to, mm. to change my life. And so it was love and how we're all connected to each other, not just on a physical level, but you, I mean, you know this, but energetically, spiritually, we are all one and how all that works and, and what that looks like at an energy level um, and how gratitude real true meaningful gratitude not just saying something thank you because you want to get something in return but really true gratitude is another form of love and 
And when you feel that love for real, when you allow yourself to be a part of love, whatever that looks like in your life, you're also kind of contributing to like strengthening that love of loving energy of this planet. It really does work that way. Yeah. And how important our connections to each other are that we're not meant to be, you know, solo explorers on this planet, that real true in-person connections are important. Not, you know, and social media is great, but get out there and be with other people you love and make those connections and spend time in, in situations that really bring your heart and soul to the forefront. Hmm. Um, getting, you know, and then understanding the, I guess the true nature of effectively cause and effect, but, but in relation to you and your thoughts, your words and your actions and how you, anybody, all of us, when we approach our days with a certain intent, a certain state of mind, a certain presence in our heart, we can impact the way things happen in our lives. It is, it's, it's, to me, it's beyond what a lot of people talk about with manifesting. This is just showing up in your life in a really good way and changing the energy. Even if you don't necessarily see physical or changes in the physical world, you coming into that, into your day with love and attention and intention to do the, the best you possibly can that changes the energy of every situation you're in. And you showing up with a specific energy makes a difference. It really, truly does. So those are some of the most important things that kind of began to change me. The biggest thing that made an impact was my life review. And I didn't know what this was. Of course, I'd never really heard of a life review in my human life. But there was a point at which I was shown all of the different impacts that I had had on other people, good and bad. But not only did I see that impact or that interaction with whatever, whoever that was, I was also able to experience my interaction with that person from that person's perspective. So it was like I was in, in, that, in the other person and myself as well. Yeah. So, for example... If I said something intentionally when I was younger uh, to intentionally try to hurt someone because I was angry, in that moment I could see that interaction, I could remember what was in my brain and that I really wanted to hurt this person, but at the same time I could feel the hurt that that person felt and the betrayal and, and just feeling so much more less now because this person that they loved me was berating them and, and talking down to them. And what was and the, moment, what was the attitude of your guide during all of that? She was very dispassionate, but also very loving. And I, and she didn't get wrapped up in that because it can be pretty dramatic when you see yourself in these interactions. And I was sobbing you know, I was feeling so bad, and she said, this isn't a tool to punish you. This is a tool for you to learn from. This hmm. is, 
here for your benefit so that you understand the impact of your words and your actions. It's okay. We understand that you're human, that you can do better even as a human. So you have choices. So now that you know your choices have an impact on other people, you can choose better next time. So it was like a gentle teacher, uh, a very loving teacher, but very supportive at the same time. Yeah, she was amazing. So, so uh, God, me. I have so many questions, but did <laughs> wh- okay, we I want to get to the question of God. Did you yeah. ever experience an actual person or was it this all pervading feeling or sense or how did that change your concept of a God and what do you call it now having been an atheist? I, you know, first of all, I tend to, sometimes I use the word God because it's easy, but mm-hmm. for the most part, the way that I think about that huge level of love and consciousness is really, I call it the divine. <laughs> to me, that's what it feels like. And, and and I never saw that divine consciousness as a person, but I felt the love. It was like I was a part of it. And that divine consciousness was just per, permeating everything. And as it, as it does and, here, but we're just not aware of it, right? It's harder to sense it here um, because we're so we get so wrapped up in it, it's easy to we get wrapped up in the physical and we and and that spiritual sense isn't as obvious at sure. least unless you make an effort. Um, Yet that that, be that prayer or meditation. Yet that was the source of the voice that spoke to you when you first crossed, right? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have any more communications welcome. from the divine? While I there? have, yeah, very infrequently at that level, but I have maybe I would say like once once every six or so months it will come that voice will come through again. Mm-hmm. Uh and I did have another NDE about a year and a half ago. Uh, where that voice was there as well, but but it wasn't anything like this. This this was like the major to me the major turning point in my life it was this big massive what I call the big you know kind of like the big come to God meeting was this one. So before we come back to your life now and how you healed, any other major uh, happenings during that near death experience that you want to cover? I think that pretty much covers like the big stuff. I mean, there, I, I, I still wanted to stay there, but at the end, at the end of it, I was sent back into my body, um, kind of like kicking and screaming. But I, 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 I can hear some that, people listening saying, "Did you meet your dad and sister?" No, I didn't. I did and not. Why do you think that, that was? Uh, my guide told me it was because later she told me this later because I'm still in communication with her, but she told me that it would have been just too traumatic for me to be with them and then to be yanked back here and sent back here. So they chose to stay away so that I could do what I needed to do without another layer of emotional trauma added on to the top of it. Mm-hmm. Which in hindsight I, I'm I'm kind of grateful for, uh, but I still wanted to see him. <laughs> sure, that's when you have to just trust the bigger picture. So, right. Um, right. so you came back and 
I'm sorry to rush through this, but I'm watching the clock tick down, and I want to get yeah. one more time. Um, you you healed faster than people expected, right? Yeah, I was. So they, you know, I healed up from the surgery pretty quickly, but but I had all my casts off within. It was about four and a half weeks after the accident, which weren't you walking astounding. within days or something? Yeah, I was up and around. So the surgery was on a Monday. By Tuesday evening, I was up, kind of sitting up in a chair, and then by Wednesday morning, I was walking the halls. And didn't so, one of the doctors, I remember bad. reading your book months ago when we first met, say something like, you're not supposed to be even able to do this yet? Yeah, and I was doing it without pain meds, because <laughs> I wasn't so, in pain. You did it without yeah, pain meds? Pain. Yeah, I was on, well, I was on Tylenol. And I, I I turned down everything else because I couldn't tolerate it. And uh, the doctor, my my trauma surgeon, actually said he called. He started calling me the Iron Lady because he said I've never seen anybody get up and walk around like this without without some pretty hefty drugs. And he said I can't believe you're just on Tylenol. I'm like, wow. well, that's all I need. And it was only like a half a dose of Tylenol too, so it wasn't a lot. So but, clearly uh, you remember yeah, your near-death experience because you're sharing it now, but was it that clear immediately? Did you come out of it and say, oh, my God, this is real? There is an afterlife or whatever you call it now? I remembered a lot of it. There were some things that were pretty fuzzy, uh, and that came back pretty quickly. I would say within a week, maybe two at the most, I remembered the whole thing from start to finish. But I knew I, – I remembered – I would say probably 60 to 70% of it right away. And I started writing it down as fast as I could. Mm. But, but that next morning, um, I was still kind of wondering, was this real or was this a hallucination? Mm -hmm. I wasn't real, you know, I didn't know. And, and in walks, like first thing in the morning, in walks the chaplain and I was so excited to see her, even though like days before I didn't want to see a chaplain because I was an atheist. <laughs> and she walks in and explained to me, well, you died on the operating table. You had what, and I explained what I saw to her so she understood what I had experienced. And she said, well, you had an, what we call a near-death experience. You died and, and went, and in her terms, she said, you went to heaven and you know, you met up with God and, you know, and she called it an angel. I don't, I don't necessarily call my guide an angel, but she did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was real. She said, this happens a lot. We see this a lot in the hospital and I see it in, in, you know, my uh, ministry. So it's real. It's okay. You know, I was so grateful to have her there and, and, reinforcing that what I experienced was real. Wow. Um, and then later my own physician reinforced it as well, which a lot of docs don't want to talk about this stuff, but he did. And mm -hmm. he said, yeah, I see it all the time. You had a real NDE. You met, you know, same type of thing. He said, you met God, you saw in his terms, an angel and, you know, that's so, real. So how has it changed things for you in the ensuing six years? Well, at first it was hard. I, I knew I was no longer an atheist, but it was still hard to kind of reconcile, you know, what do I do with my life now? Because a lot, yeah, I, I, the scientist in me 
was sort of afraid of, like, how do I make this transition? I don't know what to do with this. Do I stay a scientist and deny the spiritual stuff to everybody else publicly? So I had to to make peace with just following my heart, which was the spiritual side. I I started listening and, and really heeding the words that I was, that I heard during my NDE, all those teachings, everything, I realized I needed to put this into practice in my life. And you've put it into a beautiful book. I mean, I hope everybody runs out and gets it because the part two of your book are the 12 lessons, you know, love and compassion. You are a miracle. We are creative and powerful. We're all connected, et cetera, et cetera. These are the whole reason we're here to know these lessons. And it changed me because I, I, within a year and a half, I would say I was the happiest I've ever been and still am. And I'm like living that joy every day. No more restlessness? No. And it's funny because I'm at such total peace that I'm kind of okay with whatever happens. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's like, what, that's it's all what good. It's all part of, it's all part of God. You know, it's all part of the good. And, and I don't get upset anymore. Really. I don't get full of that human drama that we can get into. I, Nothing really phases me anymore. So all of you listening, doesn't that sound great? And this is when we say you don't have to die to get to that point. You know, you, you, unfortunately, Nancy, you needed this horrendous wake up call, but through your experience, we're, you're helping today other people to say, I can choose to live that life now to, to to have that life review every day. Right. Yeah. And I do, you know, that's one thing I teach my students when I give workshops is do a mini life review every day at the end of your day. Just kind of review what happened, what was positive and negative, and how you can make it better tomorrow. And that's it. I mean, that was the thing that helped me the most, actually, was putting into practice some really simple things. Daily life review and, you know, intentions and prayers in the morning, just in gratitude throughout the day. And that really cemented that learning in me. Well, we're grateful to you, Nancy, as we run out of time, but uh, grateful for sharing the wisdom that you learned across the veil and grateful you're still here with us to continue sharing. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you, right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.